everything that in my life was driven by this feeling of not being good enough on a subconscious level. Like I didn't realize it consciously, but on a deeper conscious subconscious level, like why was I pushing myself so hard to do 25 classes a week? Why was I pushing myself so hard to make, you know, X, Y, Z amount of money or be the most perfect friend or say yes to everything? And it was all just coming from this lack of worth and this sense of, yeah, not feeling enough. Hi, Hurt to Healing listeners, and welcome back to season four with me, Pandora Morris. I can't believe it's been nearly a year since I started having these incredibly raw and honest conversations with wonderful guests from all walks of life about their own invisible mental health struggles. Those of you that have been here since the start will know that I myself have struggled with my mental health for many years, and it was only recently that I started to see some glimmers of light. As part of my own recovery, I've made it my mission to start this podcast to create a safe space where I could try and help some of you on your own healing journeys. This season is full of more fantastic conversations, and I hope that hearing these will provide a bit of solace and comfort for some of you. In this thought-provoking episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast, I'm joined by Sophie Deer, a remarkable yoga teacher and self-worth coach. Sophie's journey is a testament to the strength of the human spirit and the profound healing that can emerge from the depths of adversity. Her story unfolds with a battle against insomnia and anxiety during her early 20s, a period that led her through the process of prescription medications. But it was a pivotal moment hitting rock bottom both physically and mentally while working in the TV industry that ignited her desire to seek therapy and ultimately set her on a path of transformation. As we delve into her inspiring story, Sophie recounts a slow burnout she experienced, a tumultuous 72-hour period filled with hallucinations and tears. This marked the moment when she knew she needed help and could no longer ignore her mental and emotional well-being. After getting signed off from work, Sophie turned to yoga as a means of healing and self-discovery. Her journey took her all the way into Australia, where she delved into yoga teaching. However, soon she realized that true healing required a deeper exploration of herself. Through meditation, self-growth courses, and an insatiable thirst for knowledge, Sophie's path unfolded, leading her to acceptance and a powerful revelation about the importance of focusing on energy rather than outcomes. I'd love to start by talking about your insomnia and anxiety during your 20s and what were the first manifestations of it? to be honest it was actually a little bit earlier that um my insomnia started when I was about 15 I remember it really clearly at school because my mum had kind of suffered from insomnia for a long time I just kind of thought this was like oh it's something I'm I'm gonna have to just deal with and get on with but as I'm sure you've had sleepless nights it is so difficult especially at school like I was going through my GCSEs I remember taking like rescue remedy, you know, for my exams, trying to like thinking like anything to keep me awake. So the manifestations of the insomnia was quite brutal very quickly because it wasn't like mild insomnia. It was like very suddenly. I just really didn't sleep much at night. I was at a boarding school as well. And then I think with that, even though I got diagnosed with insomnia at quite a young age, around 15, 16, I wasn't actually diagnosed with anxiety until I was 28, 29. But I actually think I had anxiety for a really long time. You know, constantly being in that survival fear mode, which 
I didn't realize I was in. Looking back, I can see that I was in that. But you know how it's like can be quite a slow, steady process, so you don't notice like that. I always think of that analogy of like the frog that's thrown into a boiling pot of water will jump out, will realize straight away. But when it's like slowly simmering, I had no idea that this was like such a big part of my life and was becoming difficult in relationships, in my friendships, um, my schoolwork, just kind of every part of my life. Like in in the end, in my 20s, I my anxiety got so bad that I remembered not being able to go new places. Like I was scared to even cross the road to go for a run over in Battersea Park because at the time I didn't really realize why, but because of my anxiety. And then socially, I really struggled in social situations. Like I couldn't focus on a conversation because I would be going on and on in my head about why would this person want to talk to me? I don't have anything interesting to say. I'm an idiot. You know, I'm a fraud. I'm going to be found out. So in social situations, that became really quite difficult. And that was something that I really knew was not me because I love being around people. So it was around that age, 28, that I started going to therapy because I really kind of realized that there was something wrong. And how did therapy help? I mean, was that the first time that you sought proper help, professional help? Yeah, I'd seen uh, a psychiatrist in my early 20s. I think I thought he was a therapist at the time because he did ask me lots of questions. I didn't really know what I was signing up for. You know, I like, I had just been given sleeping pills for so long that the doctors then said, okay, well, we, we should probably check this a little bit more. And I didn't get on well with him at all. So I just thought it was a load of rubbish and was like, well, I'm not going to go back and do that. The help that I had kind of previously been given was literally here, take a pill. And so I'd been taking a lot of pills in my early 20s and that actually did kind of scare me. So I was kind of on and off pills because I didn't want to take them, but then I knew I needed to take them to sleep. And But yeah, the, the therapy around 28, 29, that was my real kind of first deep dive into that world and I was going like twice a week and it was such a scary process I just remember being petrified talking about myself just felt so strange but it was such a kickstart to an amazing journey of healing and growth and what do you think really instigated your desire to have therapy I mean what was the sort of did you reach a rock bottom or was work becoming unmanageable yeah what was your incentive behind finding professional help so I had been working in tv for about eight years and the hours in the tv industry are pretty brutal it's like 90 hour weeks was what I was working at times and my body was completely burnt out and I ended up being signed off work and because I was signed off work and I physically couldn't go to work anymore I knew that this was time out and that my Health and my happiness was really more important than anything. And it was just such a kind of kick up the butt to actually do something about it. So yeah, it was it was a rock bottom. It was a real sense of failure of an industry that I thought I was going to be in for a long time, an industry I was achieving well in. And I also knew that I couldn't go back to the industry. So it was kind of this pivotal moment of like, what am I going to do now? Like I had absolutely no idea. So yeah, that was really the kickstart into going to therapy. And on a daily basis, what was your mental health like while you're working at the BBC? I mean, did it go from bad to worse or did it, was it sort of a sudden like, oh my God, it's just become totally unmanageable overnight? What did a typical day look like when you reached that rock bottom? So 
I worked for the BBC, but I also worked for heaps of other productions. When you're an assistant director in like TV drama, that's mainly what I worked in. You're freelance and you're, you, you work on like a contract basis. So you might work on a show for six months. You might work on a show for a couple of months. You might even do a week on a show. There was no kind of job security and there was so much time pressure in TV. Like a minute is a lot of money. So the kind of pressure that you're under and the adrenaline that I was under was putting a, a lot on my body and I wasn't sleeping and I was anxious underneath the surface because actually I looked very confident in doing what I did. I was, I was pretty confident in my work, but underneath it, there was a lot going on. I would say it was a kind of slow burnout. <laughs> it was a period of about 72 hours of no sleep where I remember thinking I can't drive into work today and I got I had someone pick me up and I just couldn't really function I had this I felt like I was hallucinating and I basically broke down at work and was in floods of tears and just knew that I needed help and I was actually looking up online I was like trying to check myself in to any kind of hospital that would take me I was like looking up like insomnia hospital because I just was desperate just to be like wrapped up, taken away and looked after because I just didn't know how I was going to get through the next hour, two hours. So that period, that kind of 72 hour period. And then that day on that, this TV show where I left, I left everything. Like we work in these like mobile trucks. You might've seen those filming trucks. I like left everything, everything in that truck. I left my car in the car park and I was driven to a doctor thinking, I'll be coming back tomorrow. And then I got signed off work and I never went back. It's so interesting how that happens, isn't it? I, I, the same thing happened to me working as a lawyer. And you think, oh, well, I'll, I'll be in tomorrow as usual and I'll just go and see the doctor and it'll just be, you know, protocol, like standard checkup or whatever, and they'll give me some answers. And then, yeah, your life can completely turn. So what happened after seeing the doctor? So it took me about a week to then be like, I'm, I'm never going back. Like I just... I can't do this job is just so unsustainable. And there, you know, there were other things that I'd thought about on, a, on another level where it wasn't anything to do with my insomnia. There were no female role models doing that job with a family. And no one could tell me someone that they knew who was doing that job and had a family. And I knew I wanted a family and I knew that I wanted some kind of balance in my life. So it was quite a big shakeup for me to just be like, I'm not going to go back. And I knew that really my day-to-day life, even though it was so hard for me mentally, because it felt like such a sense of like giving up and failure and defeat, but I knew I had to go back to basics, go to therapy twice a week. I had a lot of physical symptoms as well. And so I was trying to sort all of that out. And so, I, I mean, I was doing doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment and kind of just getting through the day with that and all the emotions that that was bringing on. But one thing I did do was I started to get into yoga because I had all this free time on my hands. Some days I was doing two yoga classes a day and I came across this yoga teacher who I just found so inspirational. And it was like the, the first woman in so long who had inspired me. And I just thought if I could do that for someone else in the future, if I could inspire one person in the future, then that would just be so wonderful. So quite quickly, I decided I was going to go and do my yoga teacher training. And I went off to Australia, did my yoga teacher training, came back. And then I was like, right, this is it. I've got to set up this business. But I very much had the same kind of 
mentality, this very masculine, like, I want to make this work, you know, like just a lot of pressure on myself. So I kind of took the same mentality into teaching yoga, burnt out in yoga a couple of years later. And then that was when I realized that I actually really needed to do some deeper layers of healing. Like, how can I be a yoga teacher, like supposed to be this example to people, helping other people with their lives? And I'm burning out. I burnt out to the point I couldn't, I lost my voice for three weeks. That's a sign from the universe saying, <laughs> you have to stop because I couldn't teach without my voice. You know, I couldn't work at all. So yeah, those two kind of periods of burnout were the real jolt I needed to get myself living a different life and get myself really looking on a much deeper level as to why these kind of, I always call these, you know, the perfectionism, the, the pressure, the anxiety, all of these things are the, the surface layer of what's going on. And I started to realize that there was a much deeper layer of stuff going on. And so when you started to look at that deeper layer, what came up particularly and how did you start that journey? Because I think it's really interesting. I think it's very easy for people to talk the talk, but then to begin to walk the walk is another matter altogether. And I think it's such a, as you discovered yourself, it's very easy to throw yourself into something like yoga, but to actually then really yeah, live the life that you're exemplifying to other people and to really be genuine and sincere is quite a rarity. And I think we find more and more in these healing circles and certainly a lot of people I've come across who proclaim to be these yogis or these these doctors who kind of are going to give you the recipe to your mental health and, and whatever, they actually themselves are, are very broken. And so what helped you to get onto that path of really living your true life? So I think there were, there were kind of two things. That period of burnout, I think sometimes things like come your way when you're open to it and you're asking questions. Because it, to me, there was this real like, what is success? This isn't success. I've changed jobs. I'm doing pretty well as a yoga teacher, but now I've got myself into another real pickle, you know, and my, my sleep still wasn't great. I was still on and off sleeping pills. And so there was this, I listened to this podcast where meditation was mentioned. Um, this uh, company called the London Meditation Center was mentioned. And I dabbled in meditation as a yoga teacher. I kind of did it on and off, but I didn't have this regular practice. And I knew that I needed some help with it because for me, like the, the apps were good, but it wasn't creating a discipline for me to really go for it. And so I did a, a course in meditation, it was a short course, and it just kickstarted a lot of letting go, a lot of like shedding of like this weight I had kind of held for a long time. And I suppose the deeper layer of that weight that I'm talking about is the idea of just everything that in my life was driven by this feeling of not being good enough on a subconscious level. Like I didn't realize it consciously, but on a deeper conscious subconscious level, like why was I pushing myself so hard to do 25 classes a week? Why was I pushing myself so hard to make, you know, X, Y, Z amount of money or be the most perfect friend or say yes to everything? And it was all just coming from this lack of worth and this sense of, yeah, not feeling enough. So that was kind of one part of it. And then actually quite soon after that, I uh, went through a sudden separation. I was with my ex-husband for, we'd, we'd only been married a year and a half, but we'd been together for 10 years. And this sudden separation prompted a move to Bali. And it was like this moment where I was like, I have to really look at the way I'm relating, the way I'm doing everything, because 
this is not what I had wanted for myself. I was, I think, 32 at the time, 33. And it just wasn't what I had dreamed of. I kind of looked at my life going, how have I ended up here? And I just decided I needed to take responsibility for it. I couldn't blame the world anymore. Like I had been in a victimhood mode mentality for many years. And I was like, this is it. I'm taking responsibility. So I started to do these kind of self-growth courses and was finding role models and absorbing as much information I could in this world. And it was just light bulb moment after light bulb moment. And I could just recognize myself in so much of what was being talked about. And it felt really empowering. It wasn't like, I think sometimes with this work, you could be like, oh shit, I've like behaved really badly in the past or I've behaved, you know, I, I could have done better. Almost like grieve what, what has happened. But also it's empowering because I get to take responsibility. I can't blame it on external circumstances, other people anymore. I get to, to take responsibility for this. And it's when I started doing that, things really just started to shift. Yeah, because as you so rightly say, I think it's so easy to go through the motions and to not actually really believe truly what you're doing or think that you're really ready for change and actually you're really not. And I think definitely in my 20s, I was certainly someone who I went through all the motions and quote unquote did all the things, showed up to my therapy sessions, tried to do meditation courses, tried to like have a you know a mindfulness practice and actually there was a part of me that just, I was still white knuckling it and I was still really resisting it with every part of me. And I think that moment of surrender, and I'm not sure whether, you know, I'm still very much in the process and I'm, I'm definitely behind you, but it's funny how, as you say, when, when you absorb the teachings of other people and you have these light bulb moments and you suddenly start to find your tribe and you start to surround yourself by people who nurture you and who nourish you as opposed to people who just drain you and who deplete you of your energy and who just leave you feeling just even more alone, even more other than. And I think that's something I'm certainly struggling with at the moment is is being just conscious of what my friends give me and whether they actually are the radiators that friends should be or whether they're just the drains that suck the life out of you. And it's sad because a lot of people are drains. And I think you're obviously an empath. I'm definitely an empath. And I think we do tend to attract more narcissistic types, which can be really challenging for our mental health. Oh, yeah. I mean, you speak to so much there. And I think so much of this work is relationship to self, but then how that translates into your relationship with others, because the quality of our lives depends on the quality of our relationships. Our health even depends on the quality of our relationships. And one of the things that actually happened around the time, six months after I started therapy is I went through, like, I would call it a breakup with a friend from school who I'd known for years. And it was one of the toughest things that I had ever done, but without realizing it at the time, it was like a huge deposit of self-worth of me being like, no, like I deserve more in a friendship and I won't be treated like this. And just because I've got used to being treated like that this over the last 15 years doesn't mean I have to take it anymore. And it was kind of that, the therapy that really helped me understand that. And in setting like boundaries, again, I didn't realize it was a boundary. It was just like, yeah, this real moment of honoring myself, of respecting myself. And uh, yeah, that's had a huge, huge impact on me. And as sad as it was, I mean, it really, really felt like a breakup. It was again, one of the best things that's happened to me. And I really do believe like the hardship that I've had or the difficulties I've had have ended up being the 
best things that could have happened to me because they just shook me up and made me go, okay, take responsibility. You get to change things up. And deciding that you are the one that can make that change and you're the one that has to take responsibility, I think can be a really hard, stark realization because like you said, you sort of say, think, oh, well, it's the the system that's broken. It's not me. Oh, well, it's their fault. Oh, well, it's work. Oh, well, it's my family. Oh, well, it's my, you know, my friends, whatever. And actually when you start to say, no, actually, you know what? I've got to do something about this and I've got to stand in my power. And it's really, really hard. I mean, I we're all selfish creatures and I hate the word selfish, but essentially humans by nature to survive, we are selfish, like we have to be, but people can be selfless in being selfish, I think. And and it's not being with people who are so self-obsessed that they can't also be selfless. And I think that's something that I'm really struggling with at the moment because I'm at the stage where most of my friends are having their babies and they're married. And it's it's a horrid stage because suddenly they're on a completely different time schedule. They're living a very, very different life to what I'm living. And it's sort of, can you relate to them still? And it's the ones that still consciously make an effort to see you individually. And then some of them sadly, you know, get absorbed in their own lives and, and they're not there as much. And it's finding then a, a different group and people who are on a similar trajectory and a, a similar journey, which is, I'm assuming something you must have found as well. Yeah, exactly that. And I, I would say the pretty much 99% of my friends now are married with two or three kids, you know, and I'm like on a very, very different path. And it was so painful when it, when I, I got divorced and realized like this wasn't kind of happening anytime soon for me. And, and the path that I really hoped would happen wasn't happening. It was a grieving process. And what I would say now is I don't look at my friends and compare myself. And to have got to that place has been really great. But it, you're right, it's hard work. You have to sit in all those emotions where you're like, this is unfair, this feels, you know, why me? Again, those kind of victimhood mode um, mentalities, so normal. But yeah, it has been something that I wouldn't say I've like fully overcome, but I've definitely got to a really place of acceptance with it. And it's funny because I've spoken to friends before where I've been like, you know, I feel so behind. And they're like, yeah, but we look at you, Soph, and we're like, look at you and what you're doing and you're in Bali and you've got your career and we're stuck at home with the kids. So I just think there's always another reality for all of us. And being grateful for where you are and what you're creating, it's all about energy, right? Like I think um, one of the things I really try to live by that has helped me so much, and I've got a lot of this from Abraham Hicks, is um, focus on your energy, not the outcome. So instead of me focusing, or you focusing on like having that picture perfect, like family life, what is the energy that you want to bring to your life? And what is the energy that you are trying to cultivate? Like, what does a family give you? What does a partner give you? Okay, connection, love, joy, excitement, adventure. Bring that to your life now, you, because it is about you cultivating it, not expecting it to come externally. And then what happens, and this is where like people have to kind of slightly jump off the cliff and have some faith because it sounds woo-woo, but those things come your way easier when you're not gripping onto them. It's almost like you become a magnet, you attract these things. So the less in fear I am, the more my desires just come my way without pushing and forcing and controlling. But it's, yeah, I've had to complete, honestly, like rewire my brain to not go to the fear because my brain would just always go to fear, fear, fear. And now it goes a different way. 
it goes to the fear, but I snap it out quickly and get it into the, no, hey, what? how else can we see this? What other meaning can we create from this? Because there's always two meanings you can create from something, right? Or multiple meanings. Let's choose the meaning that gives us a sense of being able to move forward, not the meaning that causes us pain. You know, like I failed or I'm not enough or I'm behind or no one's going to love me or that's never going to happen for me. Instead, choose the meaning that that feels better. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, and as you were saying that, I was just thinking that we put ourselves in in this position where we want everything pre-planned and we want everything that, that's so rigid and we want to know what we're doing in two months, what we're doing in four months, where we're going to be in six months. And, and we put ourselves on this very clear life trajectory. And as you, I listened to an interview you did and you just said, I, I don't know where I'm going to be in six months. Like, I don't know when I'm going to go back to Bali. I might be here for a bit. And actually, I'm slowly realizing that in that spontaneity and in opening up your energy and in just being a bit more of a yes person and a bit more of a last minute person, however much it goes against mine, like, oh, I want to control everything and I want to take take charge. Actually, the best things happen when you're least expecting them. And if you don't open up your energy and attract those opportunities, you're never really going to have those exciting outcomes. A hundred percent. I love how you've put all that because it's there's there's a magic that can kind of happen in life. And I see it time and time again, not only with me, but the women I work with, where less being focused on the outcome and more of the spontaneity and this flow, which we're not really taught, right? Because it can look like we're not doing anything. It can look like we're just being passive and we've been taught to be very active and go for things and control and shoot for our goals, you know? The more these kind of things start to come your way instead of like from A to B in this linear direction, the more your journey just becomes so exciting and beautiful and different than potentially you could have ever imagined. And if I look back at the situation I was in, which was very much the very traditional kind of getting married, trying for kids, having kids, and then, you know, moving slightly out of London, that was like my plan, right? And I was fixated on it, like so fixated on it. And now I look at what, how my life has kind of unfolded, divorce, moved to Bali, got stuck there in the pandemic, you know, and all my friends being at a different stage and I'm now 37 and I don't have kids and I would love to have a family. I'm so grateful. Like the incredible opportunities I've now had being in this space, being in such a space of uncertainty, right? So, so much of it is about embracing uncertainty. I mean, it's taken me down this path of self-growth, of meeting people on podcasts like you. You know, it's more than I could have ever imagined. And it's exactly what I never thought I would ever be doing. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. What would you say were your main, I mean, when you went to Bali and you obviously did have, you said several light bulb moments, but what would you say were the main learnings that you took away from your your first stint there? Something that was huge for me just by kind of absorbing and being in, you know, such a different world was the idea that things don't have to be a certain way. You know, for me, the London way was the only way. 
And when I was there, I realized I was working harder than most of my friends. (laughs) There are so many different ways for us to lead our lives. And actually that it's so important for us to take stock and be like, is the way I'm leading my life what I really want? Or is it what I've been taught to do? Or is it societal pressure? Or is it fear? And for me, I started to really look at like, well, what are my values? Like, when were we taught to look at what our core values are at school? Like, I didn't get taught any of that. What are my values? What are my needs? What does success mean to me? Really kind of changing my views from being tied to society and tied to what other people wanted from me to actually what do I want and I think that can shift and change it doesn't have to be like this thing that I think when we grow and we're continually expanding values these things can you know shift and change but that was really huge for me and then in terms of relationships what I understood from how I was kind of showing up in relationships was from a very low self-worth place so not just in my relationship with my ex like with my family with my friends I was expecting a lot of external validation I needed people to make decisions for me I needed a lot of encouragement from others I needed to know that what I was doing was worthwhile and having an impact on people I just needed so much external because I wasn't doing it internally and I created this daily practice that got kind of very um, solidified for me in Bali which was the meditation and then gratitude intentions and affirmations and I would do that every single morning And it's really helped me shift and rewire my brain and my thought patterns. And I now would say I've like just become such a big cheerleader of myself. And that has just raised my self-worth to a place where I can just relate more healthily, relate more honestly, set boundaries, be really kind and compassionate on myself. Again, like the, you know, the self-doubt that we have, I think it's so um, intrinsic. It's part of our survival mechanism. But when you can recognize that it's showing up and then show yourself the love and compassion, which so many of us can't do that. Again, we're not taught to do that. I don't really believe in that like real tough love kind of like, I think again, it's coming from an energy of of lower self-worth of like, you know, that kind of berating yourself. Whereas like to be kind and compassionate, to forgive yourself for your failures, forgive yourself for your mistakes, knowing that mistakes are part of success. It's just part and parcel of it. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much I could say about what I learned in Bali. And now that you're back, how are you managing? I mean, I know that you've got plans to probably return, but how do you manage when you come back to the UK? I mean, does life seem very different? And have you managed to keep in line with your spiritual practice and and your yoga? And and has your mindset shifted a bit? Or would you say that you're now, you really feel like you've got a solid foundation? Yeah, so I would say like I came back for the first time the last summer. So that ended up being two and a half years because of the pandemic. And that time was really tough because I'd kind of escaped quite a lot of the grieving process in the sense of being in the place where me and my ex lived, being in London. So when I came back last summer, that was like really, really tough. I kind of still saw London as this place of me, me and my ex. Went back to Bali basically for another year. And then this summer I've come back and it's like this big release. Like it, I see London as as whatever I want it to be now. It can be something different and I'm exploring different areas of London and I'm meeting new people and I'm just on a different kind of energetic level with it. And I'm actually love it and loving it so much that for the foreseeable, I'm going to stay. 
And what are you doing yoga-wise at the moment? Are you teaching in London? Not teaching in London, but I am doing, I'm running retreats. I've got a day retreat in November. I've got my Bali retreat next year. I did one this year, which was so beautiful in the mountains. Um, I'd been wanting to do a, a yoga retreat in Bali for like three years, but I kept on having to cancel it because of the pandemic. So retreats is like mainly what I do with my yoga. And I also have like an online membership. And yeah, at the moment I'm not doing in-person classes because I, I have been a little bit like, am I going back to Bali? Am I not? <laughs> What's my plan? So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but <laughs> dealing with uncertainty is what you're good at. So it, yeah, what will be will be. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sophie, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. And yeah, I really hope that our paths cross very soon. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do some yoga with you. So yeah, let's try and organize that. I'd love that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hurt to Healing podcast. I'd love for you to subscribe to the show or to follow me on our Hurt to Healing Instagram at Hurt to Healing pod. You might also have a friend or family member that you think might benefit from hearing this conversation. So please spread the word.